Hey, everybody. Mark, Lily, and Eric here. It's Wild Wild Will. Uh, we are doing Men in Black this time, going through all the Will Smith movies. And I think this is the fourth fourth one we're doing. We're already at Men in Black. Before this, we did Independence Day. Mm-hmm. Um, and are we, correct me if I'm wrong, are we taking a break after this one? No. Do we have Tom Cruise? Oh, yeah. Next yeah, week. That's, that's Top Gun Maverick, right? Yeah, that's, that's next true. week, right? Yeah. yeah. That's accurate. So we're going to take, you're going to have a week off after this just because we're going to be putting out a Tom Cruise episode of, um, of uh, Top Gun Maverick. And if you want to hear all the other Tom Cruise ones, Night Cruise and patreon.com slash the Gentleman's Club, it's only four bucks a month. So cheap. all there. You have so much time to catch up. So cheap. And you're a fucking asshole if you don't do it. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I honestly, you're yeah. a piece of shit. We're literally going to be spending more money to go see this movie for you guys than you will spend to listen to us. And the crazy thing is Lily and Eric don't even see a dime of the Patreon. No, it all goes <laughs> to Shane and I. I guess I like inadvertently see it. Eric's the real loser here. Oh. Um, <laughs> no. So give him your listen. Are you give okay? him your listen. Eric, Eric just <laughs> swallowed a fiery Cheeto. <laughs> I listened back to the Independence Day one. I say you go listen to that one and this one. I'm just saying that's a that's a not to be missed one to me. Really? I feel like uh, I feel like I felt very off. There's that a lot now. There's a lot of energy in it. Hmm. I was just disappointed with how my mic sounds. That's why I'm saying right now, I'm going to get a new mic. I want to sound clear. How about this? If eight people sign up for the Patreon, Mark will buy that's you that mic. mic. That's a mic right there. Oh, thanks, Mark. Yeah. Come on, well, asshole. Thank you to the eight people. If you want better quality, eight of you need to sign up for the Patreon this week and Eric can get a nicer mic. Also, but there is a rule for the Patreon that Shane and I have come up with. And that is it's an elite club. So you have to make over 80,000 a year. Those are the rules. No wonder nobody's signing up. Send us your tax forms to Gentlemen's Club at irs.gov. If they're all making more than 80, let's up the charge. Um, All right. Should we get right into Men in Black? Yeah, because I think we're going to need need a lot of time. I'm going to say something. I'm going to say something bold because I feel like I feel like out of us. Um, Eric is definitely more the expert when it comes to making movies. Okay. But I want to say with men of like, I feel like this should be put in like, this movie should be like how you teach people to make movies. This should be like in the halls of Congress. So we never lose it. Yeah. This movie should be like, show it to those film students. Mm. You show this movie. You show the one where they cut that goat eye. You show the what? other movie where a train's coming at you. Okay. And the other one where the guy shoots at the camera. <laughs> the fuck? But this movie needs to be shown to fucking films. You film know, wild films. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And Nasferatu. Okay. These are the, these are the movies. Wow. I don't showing. even know like what that course would be called. Dude, this, I like love the shit that. in my head. Eric, I love are you, you, are you with guy. me? I love the old guy shooting at the camera with the gun. Mm-hmm. That, dude, where's it? Look, where's that the, the plot twist on that? Such a good image. Um, which Scorsese lifted that and for Goodfellas, Joe Pesci shoots right at the camera lens in one of the shots, and that's directly lifted from that. Dude, Mark, I'm with you. One million fucking percent. It's all in my notes. This script okay. is like perfect. The movie's execution's perfect. This is you watch this and you go, yeah, this is how you tell a fucking story with proper setups, proper payoffs, 
proper character development, Mm -hmm. um, avoiding cliches, which we'll get into, while also maintaining like a populist kind of style and populist kind of story that you're telling. Um, Yeah, you should teach this in schools. It should be taught. The script is fucking like immaculate. The other one thing I'm more, I will all admit I'm more of like a TV person, mm. like as in I like watching, I like like really good TV shows and I'll read up on them more than say movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always heard that with TV shows, you um, a lot of times you won't use your main writer or writers or writing room for the pilot. Mm. Like oh. making a pilot is a completely different beast. You're setting up an entire mm. show yes. okay. at the same time. You have to make it entertaining and you have to win over enough audience for them to fucking keep you on yeah. for, the, for more than six months. Right. Yeah. So like you'll go and you'll find a pilot writer. Mm-hmm. I feel like the first 45 minutes of this movie could be like, it's like written like a pilot. Like it's like, Oh, I'm going to watch mm-hmm. it's, it's the rest of men in black, the series type of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which there is a series. Is the there cartoon. a cartoon? Yeah. Cartoon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, here's the thing. Like, how dare we, like, yeah, the movie's good, but the song's even better. <laughs> oh, the song's yeah, fucking lit, man. I love, too, that it's not played during the movie. It just fucking comes in at the credit. Fucking mindfuck. It's so right? Here's the thing. I'm going to make a bold statement. I don't think this movie would have been as big without the song. I feel wow. like the movie is good and it was going to do phenomenal. I feel like this song knocked it out of the stratosphere. And I feel like the song put this movie even more in the zeitgeist. It's definitely a good way to market. song is just a juggernaut. And like um, it came off the album Big Willie Style. So this song is a lead single for the movie and the lead single from his first solo album without like DJ Jazzy Jeff. And it's Big Willie style. And this album has Men in Black, Miami, just the two of us getting jiggy with it. Like it has just banger after banger after banger. And I feel like this, like this is my childhood. I feel like, like, I feel like that was like the golden era where like Will Smith's just coming out with every banger, all those songs. If you play it at a wedding, I'm going to lose my fucking mind and like dance my ass off. And I feel like the movie obviously still would have been good and entertaining, but I feel like being able to have your lead actor create like the perfect music video and song that is now just playing constantly on the radio. Like how many fucking movies get to do that? Very good marketing. You know, yeah, with the, just incredible. Um, yeah, this. So this is. Oh, let me just go through it. Yeah. Yeah, let's get into it. There's, oh, there was something Lily said that I wanted to comment on, but about oh, it, about just the two of us. <laughs> so Will Smith wrote just the two of us about his son, <laughs> right? Yeah. And now it's the son he never really talks about or gives a shit about because it's he not even it's not even just the two of us. Now it's all about fucking Willow and Jaden. No. And who gives a fuck about just the two of us, kid? Okay, What's his name, Lily? What's like- his name? Tyrone. No, it's not. <laughs> it's from Gravity Falls. <laughs> you know, oh, you're looking it up. Exactly. Just the two of us, my ass, Will. Why? But like, you fucking kick that kid to the curb. That kid's just older. It's yeah. Trey. It's oh, of Trey course, Smith. it's Trey. Trey, cool. No, he's just um, like way older. He loves his son. Sure. Okay. Oh, that song's about the like 
the the oldest son. Yeah, yeah, it's about yeah. I don't even. Is it him in it or is it one of his other kids in it? Is that even? Oh about God, him? you're right because the other kids weren't born until like the two. They were born like two thousands. Yeah, this is a 1997 movie. Okay, so Men in Black is based off of a comic book called The Men in Black. Um, it's it's similar, you know, in plot to this. You know, you got this agency in 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 uh, in the world that deals with aliens and stuff. But okay, I know uh, this is important, but yeah, it was his son Trey in it, and it's cute. Um, but from what I understand, so so it was like a small offshoot type of comic book company, and then Marvel ended up buying it. But to be honest, like at that point, Marvel wasn't even what Marvel is now because of all the Avengers movies. So Marvel was kind of lame to begin with. And these men in black comic books are kind of violent. And I and I wanted to like look deeper into this to be like, oh, they should have done this from the comic book and this because a lot of people do that with like, you know, Batman and Superman's like, oh, this would be a cool storyline. It doesn't seem like the comic book was honestly that interesting to me, at least. Or it seems like the movie almost did it better because the comic book was not as funny. Okay. Oh, yeah. The comic book was more violent. And and it was like darker where they would uh, investigate like paranormal activity, yeah. not like just aliens. They do the whole thing and that they could like keep their anonymity, like regardless of anything. So like they would kill people so that MIB could stay secret. Yeah. Yeah. Much darker. So, yeah. I mean, I wanted to make some huge connection to it. I couldn't really find it personally that, that but that's where it came from. Um, the movie, though, Men in Black is about the secret organization, the Men in Black. And how Tommy Lee Jones, who's kind of like the old the old dog on the trail, teaching Will Smith, the new guy. I think Tommy Lee Jones is Agent K. Yep. And Will Smith is Agent J. J. Yep. K and J. K and J. So um, and then Tommy Lee Jones has an old older guy that he's initially with. I think it's Agent D. And he he gets out of the force. He's like, I'm done with this. I'm and they're this. So they have to train a new guy for, you know, Agent K. Um. Now, so the movie is basically introducing Will Smith, who's just a normal cop in New York City, into the men in black. And they recruit him because he chases down an alien. And the alien's like, "Ah, the world's going to end. It's like, well, why is the world going to end? Well, it turns out there's a bug and the bug comes from outer space onto Earth. Zed, we have a bug. Yeah, it's Golmer Pyle from Full Metal Jacket. And he um, comes to Earth and he's looking for Orion's belt because there's a galaxy on Orion's belt. Right. And well, he was just looking for the galaxy. He's looking for the galaxy, but it's on Orion's belt. We find that. Better. Yeah, we find that. Um, and so. The he goes through it, he like he he finds the aliens that are supposedly that are also on Earth that are that know about this galaxy. They're right? the royalty of that um, planet. Like those people that and, are protecting and they're protecting the galaxy, the galaxy. And they're like hiding out here on Earth, which the big twist is that Orion's belt. Orion is a cat and the galaxy is on. And it's collar. on a belt. It's Orion's bell. Orion's bell. Yeah, because he he thinks he hears oh, Orion's belt, but it's Orion's but bell. It's Orion's bell, the bell on the cat's collar. So that bug alien takes the the galaxy right mm-hmm. he gets his hands on the galaxy mm-hmm. and so the royalty that was protecting this galaxy which is very tiny it's like a marble right they come to earth and they're like hey 
homeboys got the galaxy men in black if you guys can't get this galaxy back for us we can't have it in the bugs hands so we're gonna blow up earth yeah just to take care of the situation so they have like an hour to do that and basically the long and short of it is they they, they destroy they, they kill bug boy and they save the planet by finding this galaxy but most of it is about being introduced to the world of the men in black yeah which are th- their job is to like it's it's like to take alien refugees in right a um, lot of it's it, almost like like custom track of them yeah, yeah it's know? like and, uh, customs where it's like aliens are allowed to come visit they need work visas yeah and they need to be like allowed and then when they're here they have to stay on the isle of manhattan so it's like yo where are you going you can't leave um new york city and just like you know there's like 1500 of them and they're just kind of keeping track like people but are like keeping hey do you got any do you have any fruit in your carry-ons and it's like well where are you gonna chuck those and yeah. we have to keep it keep it keep it from the public knowing because they'll freak yeah. out yeah and that's that's basically the, the first movie and it's a lot just so much of it though is just getting introduced to what the men in black is yeah uh, I do want to shout out because we did talk about before we're talking about the script uh, Two two major contributions to this film is one is the screenwriter Ed Solomon and you may know him as the co-writer of all three of the Bill and Ted movies Bill and Ted's excellent oh, okay. based the music so he co-wrote those so he's the sole screenwriter on this and then shout out to the fucking director Barry Sonnenfeld who did Adam's Family, Adam's Family Values, <laughs> Men in Black. It adds up. You know, he really does. He he has those movies. And then he has kind of like these, like, I had it up. Like these RV and Get Shorty. Like oh, yeah. Get Shorty. Where it's like, I would never. Oh, I've seen them, but why? Um, but I got to say, he does a really good job of taking what Tim Burton does and making it less obnoxious. Mm. He comes from, so he's famous for being a cinematographer. That's the world he came from. He, and you can tell, right? Because his direction's all about shots. <laughs> like that's like a big stylistic choice. He was the cinematographer for the Coen brothers who famously did Fargo, the big Lebowski, mm. No Country for Old Men. Not saying he did all those films, but he started with them, did a lot of their famous films, starting with their first one, Blood Simple. And he just has this very, very distinct eye for comedy. And one yes. of the things, and Mark, you can attest to this, and current day Barry Tomfield, if you watch interviews with him, he is not that he's not a fan, but he doesn't really care for like the Adam McKay's or the Judd Apatow's where it's like 10 cameras and you just get a bunch of coverage and then like edit the comedy. He's someone where it's like, let's do this in one shot. And like the comedy plays in the shot, whether it's something's happening in the background, something's happening in the foreground, or it's the way Tommy Lee Jones is reacting off of Will Smith. It's not coverage. It's just, it's kind of like a more old classic style of comedy. And like, I don't know. I found that very, very refreshing. There is like a, uh, uh, I don't know, like better is not like the word, but there are people that can like infuse the comedy into the storytelling and mm. you're learning stuff about people while also mm. having a comedy beat and Judd yeah. Apatow's not great at it. And I'm not saying Judd Apatow's bad, right? But there's definitely Judd Apatow movies that I enjoyed. Yeah. Um, but I would say Judd Apatow's closer to watching like stand up 
Yeah. And, than watching a movie a lot of time. Who's the guy that made Beavis and Butthead? And oh, uh, Mike Judge. Mike Judge made Office Space, right? Yeah. yeah. He's really good at it too because yes. like there, there'll be like he'll do these shots where there's like a physical comedy beat. Like there's one where there there's like a ravine where like uh and the characters in Office Space are walking down it and walking up it, and it's during a conversation. And like uh the fat guy that ends up getting like put in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. He, I think it's like his introduction to his character, and the whole time they're like going up the ravine, he's like kind of falling and mm-hmm. stuff, and like mm-hmm. out of breath. But you're like learning about him, mm-hmm. and you're seeing the dynamics between the characters. Judd Apatow's awful at this, and yeah, like this hat was full of it. I mean, there's like just two different ways of making comedy. Like you either make comedy where it's like very scripted and very purposeful, or you lean more into like the improv and be like, hey these people are super funny. So I'm mm-hmm. going to let them just like take the wheel. And I yeah. think both are good. They're just yeah. both yeah. very different. There's somebody that's always, it's actually, it might've been Mindy Kaling or BJ Novak who are, um, you know, make the office. And they were talking about the office because a lot of people thought that the office was a lot of improv and they're like, it's, it's 99.99% scripted. Yeah. They're like, cause improv is great. And you can get funny stuff, but you're not going to improv a, a better storyline. Yeah. Somebody's right. not going to improv more story. Yeah. It's better for the you know, film or the TV show. Yeah. I mean, they, I read Mindy Kaling's books and I just like absolutely adore her. And she was just like, like everything was scripted, like down to like the grunts. She was like, nothing was by accident because like, you have like a finite amount of time and you need to like tell that story. And like, I mean, in this one, it's an hour 38. Hell I, yeah. I don't think a minute is wasted. And I don't think a minute more was even needed. Like it was a nice, tight, clean hour 38. Where like sometimes you hit like a point in the movie, you're like, oh, okay, they could have probably cut this. I really don't feel like there's a lot of fat to this movie. No. In fact, I watched an interview with Barry Sonnenfeld and he was basically saying he has no patience for stories dragging. He wants to keep the movie going. If it's not adding to the story or if it's not funny, it gets cut out of the movie so fucking quick. He's not interested in atmosphere like, oh, let's just like kind of build something here. He's just like, go, go, go. And you see it. You see in this movie, there's a great example. So there's a shot of a farmhouse. And this is when the UFO with the bug crashes, right? For the first time, Vincent D'Onofrio, uh, Gomer Pyle, and his wife are in the farmhouse. Instead of having a scene to establish who they are and watch them argue and cut, 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 they're at the kitchen table and arguing. And then what was that noise? Go outside UFO. It's just a wide shot of the farmhouse. You see this UFO coming out of the sky in the distance and they're arguing inside. So he's taking care of an establishing shot and who these characters are before you even see who the fuck they are. Mm-hmm. And then there's a great punchline because he's like, he's berating his wife. And then he says, the only thing that works in my life is like my goddamn truck. And that's when the UFO like crashes into the truck. And then he steps outside and it's like, oh yeah, that could have been like a 10 second establishing shot of like mm-hmm. quiet night farmhouse. And then go inside, see the argument, then come back out and the UFO crashes. And he gets it all done in one shot. And it just allows the story to move and be one hour and 39 minutes. And you know what I liked about that? I wrote it because it's funny because you said that he avoids like the cliches. But then there are so many points where he's just like, I'll fucking give it to you. 
yeah. I'll give you what you want. Like, you know, the very first scene, they're like out in the desert. You have like the immigrants trying to cross the border. And it is like the most set looking scenario. Like these cactuses look like the most yeah. cactus cactuses you've ever seen. And like, you know, the stars are out the farm scene where it's like, isn't that always where like a UFO lands is like at a broke down farm mm-hmm. and he like didn't give a shit. He wasn't like, oh, let me make this look like super realistic. He was like, let's put this on a set and like, let's just like lean into it, like kind of tongue in cheek. These are like almost your standard alien sets that yeah. you're going to work with. And like he doesn't make like a fuss about it, but it adds just like that nice little layer where you almost feel like he's winking at the camera a little bit where he's got like the one just random cow in the shot. Oh. So you're just like, yeah, look, cows getting sucked up by saucers. Like he like immediately invokes all of these stereotypes you have about aliens without having to be like lame uh, about and, it. And to build and I like build up what both you guys are saying and what Eric was saying about like um, it being tight. Like it reminded me and I know I brought it up before where somebody said just like the Lion King, like the cartoon, the original cartoon, it's just like the tightest movie like there's just like not like literally not an ounce of fact you're always learning something they're always moving the plot around about or like uh forward this was from the beginning was like that like you the first thing they introduced you to tommy lee jones yeah he's dealing with immigrants the men in black are dealing with immigrants on a larger scale so you're Mm -hmm. learning that about it right and so you're learning about who Tommy Lee Jones is. You're learning about the their their ability to warp, you know, get rid of people's memories because he does it to his old partner and stuff, right? And yeah. so and you're learning about Tommy who Tommy Lee Jones is. Cut to I think Will Smith. At that Will Smith running. Will Smith running. Looking you're, cool as fuck in those orange shorts. Hell yeah! Woo, hell woo, yeah! Woo. You're learning about who Will Smith is. You're creeped out by the alien guy and he's giving you more information about the end of the world is coming. That's the, the gun. Whole, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the gun. Plot moving around or moving forward. Right. So you got the Will Smith and it's all like super kinetic and super like fast paced. Mm-hmm. Cut to the bad guys. So you're introducing your three. Here's your three people, bitch. Yeah. Yes. Here's your three fucking people. Here's yeah. your here's your plot. The world's ending. Here's what men in black does. They're basically immigration enforcement for aliens. They, they did it in fucking 20 minutes. And you know what, too? Like, parlaying more off that, there are times where other movies would have dragged out. Like, so you have Will Smith running. He catches the guy. The whole time, you're learning and you're connecting. And then he's at the precinct. And it's like, oh, yeah. What did you see? This is what I saw. Fat guy being like, yeah, you're an idiot. A lot of jokes that are now Not problematic, but still, like, super fucking hilarious. Go on. <laughs> And I feel like another movie that would have been 20 minutes of just like people like not believing him being like, man, you need to go see the counselor. They're like, you know what? We'll give you 40 seconds of people not believing him. Oh, quick. Here is the coroner medical examiner. She'll be like, hey, I think something's freaky. And then we'll erase her brain and then we'll get the fuck out of here. Like, (laughs) oh, I've got paperwork. It's done. It's taken care of. Yeah. Let's go. Who gives a shit can, about this? Can you imagine how bad somebody could have fucked up the first 30 oh. minutes of this movie? Yeah. Tried to understand what's happening in it. Yeah. And I and I guess I'll jump to that then about like avoiding the cliche. So I'll also to t- go to Mark's point, that first scene and you're learning everything. 
the first shot is a bug and it splats against the window. Oh, and yeah. It's a bug. Okay. And did it's, that make you feel like this movie was made for uh, like 3D or something? Yes. Well, well, oh my God, I have so many side tangents. Men in Black, <laughs> Men in Black 3 was released in 3D and Barry oh. Sonnenfeld on in an interview said he thinks he made the best 3D movie even more so than Avatar because he felt like his movies make you feel like you're in the movie. One reason why is, and you guys will notice, Mark brought up the Tim Burton style. Barry Sonnenfeld loves wide-angle lenses. And wide-angle lenses, what those essentially do is everything's in focus. So if a character is like really close to the camera or like standing there, his background's in focus, their face is in focus. And it sometimes creates that like distort effect where like their head like looks a little bigger or like wider. So he uses wide-angle lenses. Other films, they use long lenses where that's like, you know, you see someone, but their background's soft or out of focus. And Barry Seinfeld doesn't fucking do that. He only uses wide-angle lenses for everything. It's insane. And that's such a distinct thing. If you watch it again, you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. Like, which it's actually, I think, harder to do wide-angle lenses because if you have the background blurry and your main character in focus, you're telling the audience what to focus on. But when you don't have that and everything's in focus, you have to use how the camera's being used to show you what you should look at, the colors, like if Will Smith's wearing like a red jacket, like, hey, look at Will Smith. You have to use like what's happening on screen because you don't have the tool of being like, no, this isn't focus, focus on that, um, which is really awesome. But okay, avoiding the cliches and keeping the plot moving. Know who would fuck up this movie? The screenwriter who goes, oh, here's Will Smith, chases down the perp, the perp's an alien, kills himself, goes and gets questioned at the precinct, goes to his apartment. Oh, he's got a girlfriend. Oh, he's mm. got a kid. Hey, honey, you know, crazy day at the office. Say, I think I saw some. What'd you see, Jay? Oh, I saw an alien. You know what I mean? And it's like, what are we getting from well, this? We'll, well, what Independence Day did. Yeah. Exactly. And this movie, you, there's no one in Will Smith's life, which is so fucking rad because you know what they do? They flip it. They give Tommy Lee Jones the connection. They get the wife. And we understand it. When Tommy Lee Jones has to give Will Smith the job of being in the MIB, mm-hmm. he says to him, he's like, you're going to have to sever every like human connection. You're not going to exist anymore. We as an audience aren't fucking dumbasses. We don't need to be like, again, I can see a studio or another writer being like, well, you're telling your main character he has to sever connections. Give him the girlfriend or give him the old mother. He's give taking him someone to sever. Give him someone to sever. We don't need that. We know that's a complicated thing. <laughs> we don't have to mm. see it. And that's what keeps this movie moving. And they do it so well by being like, let's give it to Tommy Lee Jones and pay it off with him. And, I, and that felt like it resonated more emotionally. Like it was so smart to avoid that cliche of like, and it, give and him it makes a more sense if you think about it, like you wouldn't recruit someone who has like an entire fucking life. Yeah. Outside because it'd be like, they're not going to sever that ties. So I think it makes sense that the person that you're trying to usher in, you don't really need their background because who gives a shit what's going on in their lives? Because, you know, they're about to enter into something where they're not going to have a life outside of it. You give the life to the person who's exiting. Yes. Can I give uh, another shout out to uh, a hero of this movie? My boy, Danny Elfman. Oh, yeah. Holding that shit down, son. Yeah. Bum, 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 bum. I remark so, so frequently in my notes, like right out the gate, he gives you that like dope, ominous, detective, like noir sci-fi music that you're like, well, we're just following a bug. 
and you're just instantly intrigued throughout the whole movie. I feel like his music highlighted this movie so well. It was like upbeat. It was energetic. It was just really like blockbustery. You know, like I feel like a lot of Tom Cruise movies suffered musically. Yeah. Because it's your, your arch nemesis, Hans Zimmer. Dude, the man's <laughs> trash. I feel like this one felt like summer blockbuster movie. Uh, D- Danny Elfman and John Williams are really like people where you should just toss half your budget to them. Yes. Because they just oh, they elevate your mo- movies. Because I mean, they, just audio is so much of a, of the experience. Yeah, they are, yeah. Oh, I agree. Sorry, Lily. Oh, no, no. no. I would say, yeah, especially like in a movie like this, it builds like the whole uh, feel of it where it's like, it's cool and it's like fast paced and it's edgy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And dude, Mark, you shared with us, like Danny Elfman just had his moment in the sun at Coachella. Where were the fuck was it? Oh yeah. He, yeah. Yeah. It was Coachella. What's the Chicago one? I forget. Uh, South by Southwest. No, that's no, Austin. That's Austin. It was uh, what big concert, but he like got to do like the Simpsons and like cool. I don't know. He, what was he in Oingo Boingo or yeah, something? Yeah. He's like in some like, whatever eighties band. He was playing with like the Chili Peppers, wasn't he? Or Flea? It was something crazy. But Danny Elfman's great because he's still one of the composers. Unfortunately, because a lot of modern blockbusters are so like Farm Factory composers, or sorry, movies are edited to temp tracks. That means okay, mm-hmm. I'm editing my movie. Uh, we don't have music yet, so I'm going to use Batman's theme from 1989. Even though my movie's about a werewolf, I'll just use that. And then when the composer gets the movie, he's chasing music that you've tempt the whole movie to. Danny Elfman's still one of the like old school guys who's like, give me the movie without any music and I'll make the music for your movie. And that's yeah. why it's so fucking good because he's trying to also help you tell your story. That seems so confusing to like put in temp music. I feel like in a good movie, the music is another character. Yeah. It's another resource. It does seem like a little bit of a crutch, but also I'm not a director that has the pressure of like a $150 million movie about Robert Downey Jr.'s taint, you know? Right. <laughs> I, w- I will direct that. Okay. Yeah, that's a lot. Okay. Um, <laughs> hey, hello. Um, can, I, can I bring up another hero of this movie? It is fucking Golmer Pyle. Oh, Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah, this dude. Like there is not like talk about like a physical actor and physical comedy. Like you watch him and his skin is literally coming off. (laughs) Oh, my God. When he pulls it back. When you watch it, you're like you for not one instant. Am I going? That's an actor. I'm going. That is a huge bug. (laughs) crammed inside of a human form the way he moves the choice it's amazing it's amazing braces on his legs so that he would not be able to bend his knees and then taped up his ankles so that he physically could not walk in a normal manner it's like god this is men in black and he was like doing like an oscar worthy performance he should have gotten something for yeah. it's like there's just points where he's just walking it's just him walking mm-hmm. And he's and he'll, like, he'll just it'll be like a tick. He'll just like point at something, go and then just like keep on. It's like, how do you make a choice to do this? The commitment level for 
like a squeaky oh. clean blockbuster is so next level. I, and I think what's impressive about his performance, like I feel like he gets nothing but kudos. This is a movie for kids. Everything that he was doing could have been very scary and like not appreciate. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you had different music, if you had different lighting, he's a horror show. Like it <laughs> yeah. would have been like the scariest performance. But goddamn, he is doing the creepiest shit, but made it funny. It- like, and I think that has a lot to do with the directing. Like it was like lit correctly. It was like the correct beats where he's like pulling his skin back. But it's like that line of you change a couple things and it would have just straight up been like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And like yeah. he's able to just like navigate it just enough that he's giving such an intense performance, but it still comes out funny. And then just like he's got like well, some of the best. Get your big butt <laughs> back just, in like, the house. Then, <laughs> sugar, sugar, <laughs> more. what's great too is it's speaking of the movie moving fast you're introduced to normal vincent d'onofrio for like 10 seconds and this isn't something where it's like oh vincent d'onofrio is kind of like a creepy crazy guy anyway so that's why he's able to play the bug when you see him it's just like oh yeah he's like handsome and like a normal Uh, dude so to be able to change into like the bug form of it like, I guess what I'm saying, it's not that they picked, like, we got to find, like, a creepy fucking actor who has, like, a fucked like up Like, Danny DeVito is a penguin. <laughs> <Right>. yeah, yeah. <laughs> this guy's a normal dude. <laughs> who yeah. went... Like, like, he's an asshole, but... Right. What I guess I'm saying is, like, if you had any question that Vincent D'Onofrio is anything like the bug, he's not. So that means he's giving <laughs> a full fucking performance. Like... I mean, I like Mark said, there is not a point in this movie where you're like, he's a person. It's just like there is a bug inside <laughs> that fucking like there's not a point where I don't think a bug is in a skin suit in this movie. And also he's fun to watch. So it's not even like sometimes like villains, if you cut to them and they're lame, you're almost like, eh, get back to the heroes. Like, this mm. is just kind of lame. Like when you cut to him, you're like, this is just as enjoyable as anything else. Well, he's like, the you know what? Or he's almost like the A plot. Like he's he's yeah. doing what the movie's about. You know what? Um, it instantly made me think of fucking Beetlejuice. Oh like, yeah, it had such Beetlejuice vibes to it, where it's just like Beetlejuice could be pretty terrifying. He's pretty fucking disgusting. It's an all-in performance, but yet it's funny and it's like riveting, and you're like get me back to that freak and just like the way it's all shot too like i feel like this movie just reminded me a lot of like the beetlejuice and the ghostbusters and like almost like those like classic uh offbeat like you know paranormal movies where it's like this is right in line with those and i think some of it is his performance because when he's doing it there's no CGI bugs. It's an actual person doing it. I feel like it adds a lot. All right, guys, I want to throw you something. You know how there's like, what is it? It's like Charmander to Charmeleon or something to Charizard, right? It is Pokemon. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like that's like the level ups, right? The evolutions. The evolutions. I feel like Men in Black is will smith at like charizard like this is what evolution is that that's like the third level that's like top like how many levels are there 
I feel like you Three. could have used an analogy that more people understood. Oh, yeah, Pokemon. <laughs> that small thing nobody knows. I don't. Shane will get it. Shane's got it. Yeah, this is for three of you. I'm saying this is a Charizard. I'm saying Will Smith, he's in the pocket. Like this is he's per like this is built for Will Smith, and Will Smith is perfect in this movie. Let's talk about Will. I feel like we gotta get to the will of it all. Yes. Uh, I'm with you. Top tier Will. I think I feel like this is the first movie where it's just like He's got the confidence, but none of it feels forced. None of it feels played. It feels just like super genuine confidence in what he's doing. I feel like he just like blows it away because, yes, he's funny. But like we already know he's funny. Like we've all watched Fresh Prince. That show is hilarious. But he just like does so many good things where when he's discovering about Men in Black and the aliens, he's not just like, Okay, like I feel like in Independence Day, there was just like way too quick of like an acceptance of aliens by like a lot of the players. Just like, oh, here's an alien. I'm just going to punch it in the face. Yeah, I feel like in Men in Black, he would see something and his face would just be like, what the fuck? And there's just like a lot more of like him questioning things like, wait, what? And I feel like that plays better because it feels more honest. It feels more realistic that like they didn't have to put it in the dialogue. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't something in the script where he's just like, what aliens are real. He just instead gave a face to the camera of just like, what the fuck? This is crazy. And I just feel like from just like his physicality to like his jokes to his chemistry with Tommy Lee Jones, great chemistry between the two of them. Like this was just a flawless, confident, fully in his own Will Smith. Funny enough to give some context. So Spielberg is a producer on this Sony and Steven Spielberg wanted Clint Eastwood for the Tommy Lee Jones role. Agent Mm -hmm. K. And then they wanted Chris O'Donnell, a.k.a. Robin from Batman Forever and Batman (laughs) Robin uh, for the Will Smith role, Agent J. Those were the two people they were gunning for. And Barry Sonfield, his wife, who's I I forget what she does in the film industry. Maybe she's a producer does something. She read the script and the first name she said, she turned to her husband and said, Barry, you need to hire Will Smith for the Agent Mm -hmm. J role. Here's what's hilarious. Independence Day hadn't even come out yet. I don't even think they had shot it when that she said that. So Will Smith's not really a star. He's known. She knew him from Fresh Prince. And she's like, you need to watch Fresh Prince. He's your he's the actor. So Barry goes to the studio and says, my wife said Will Smith has to be our guy. I want to go with Will Smith. Spielberg's like, no, no, no. Go meet with Chris O'Donnell. Go talk to Chris O'Donnell. He'll love it. And Barry Sonfield's like, fuck, I really don't want Chris O'Donnell to be in this role. It's not right for him. It should be Will Smith. So he goes and meets and has dinner with Chris O'Donnell. And Chris O'Donnell's like, hey, I like the script, but I think it needs a lot of work before we can shoot it. And, <laughs> and according to Barry Sonfield, he's like, you're right. The script's a mess. He's like, I'm not that great of a director. If you're feeling weird about it, you know, don't sign on. Stop so it. Yeah. So Chris Adal is like, okay, I won't sign on because he's like, I don't think the script's where it needs to be. And Barry Savile goes to Spielberg. He's like, Chris Adal didn't like the script. Like, he's not really into it. We need Will Smith. Here's what's crazy. Independence Day came out like while they were shooting Men in Black. So it's so rad that it's not like, oh, Independence Day comes out. 
Will Smith's this huge star. Grab him, put him in Men in Black or whatever. Like they just picked him because it was in the zeitgeist kind of, you know, the what his wife was someone who's just like, you need to put him in this movie. And I think that's such a cool way that he came to this role. And well, and he, you know, it also tipped him over. The director was like, he was good in six degrees. Yeah. Six degrees was an odd choice for someone like Will Smith to make because he you know, he could have just tried to go like the rom-com route comedy straight out. But I feel this is now the second director who's like, I liked him in six degrees and took a chance on him when he wasn't established yet. So I feel like as an actor doing a role like that, maybe if it, maybe if the audience didn't like it, which they did, it was fine, whatever. But you do that kind of role more for the directors and for like the business people to be like, Oh, okay. He's got some kind of range, at least. Yeah. And can we bring up too? I know we're, we'll keep on Will Smith. I know Tommy Lee Jones is the best. Put a pin in it, Mark. I, Put a pin I, in it. I, I, yeah. no, look at that. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say the last thing about or not the last thing, but another thing about Will Smith and you two can probably attest to this is that. He has in this movie, he does broad comedy, right? Where maybe it's like a little bit more of the cringy, like played for the kids lines or whatever. Like, I make this look good or whatever the fuck. Oh, so classic. (laughs) So he's able to play those big moments. But dude, he has so many funny fucking lines under his breath or smaller. Like Rary's just like, oh, you're bringing that nice man some flowers. <laughs> He's handing the flowers. Oh, you're bringing that nice tall man some flowers. It's just like that delivery is fucking hilarious. Every time he yells at Tommy Lee Jones, like you're going to give that woman leukemia if you keep fucking using that thing. Yeah. Like, just saying shit. Or when he gives Tommy Lee Jones the fucking finger. It's like if oh, you're yeah. not looking at the screen, you just miss it because he's just saying something innocuous. But giving him the finger during. Well, what's the uh, so like Tommy Lee Jones is going through the whole thing, acting like everything's normal. Yeah, because Tommy Tommy Lee Jones has been doing it for decades. Right. Mm -hmm. It's his job. It's just a job for him. Right. At this point, it's a job. Yeah. And Will Smith is doing like, was it science mystery theater? He's like watching the movie, making fun of it as he's going through it type yeah. of thing, yeah. like commenting like, oh, that's ridiculous. That's- he like, tells Tommy Lee Jones, Tommy Lee Jones, like bitching about bugs, like, oh, like they're bad because like that's like a type of alien as a bug. And just like to himself, he's just like, you were stung as a kid. Yeah. It's like, what? <laughs> I know it's probably lame to like recount like comedic bits and be like, oh, this scene was so funny. But a classic scene is when he shoots the little girl in the head. The little girl <laughs> cut out. Well, like, let's talk about that entire so scene. Because <laughs> I think so. Th- there's the scene in the movie where Tommy Lee Jones had like wiped his memory, but was just like, hey, show up to this building tomorrow. Yep. And he gets in the building and it's MIB. But like no one knows really what it's about. But it's like him. And it's like top tier Navy SEALs and top mm-hmm. tier army. Just like people who are like the best of the best. And Wilson is just like in there making fun of them to their face, just being like, Oh, we're the best of the best. Like, oh, you're just excited to be here. And like dragging tables. <laughs> and then he goes into a room and they like all got to be shooting aliens. Everyone's just like, <laughs> and he's like, nah, nah. And then he just shoots a little girl one in the face. Like, Why? <laughs> he's like, well, that guy, he's just 
He's working out. I don't want someone to come in the gym and bust a cap in my ass. That guy, he looks angry, but he's just got a cold. Like he's just not <laughs> feeling good. He's like, now this white bitch here, she's in the ghetto alone. She's got books that are way too old for her. That whole scene is so fucking funny and so fucking flawless. It is like, it is like you want to do film school. I feel like the whole time where he's like interviewing at MIB, that right there, just like, this is how you make a, f- a funny comedy scene. Well, yeah, I was going to say, so, so for, well, I'll go with that one because I don't, I, I wouldn't have too many notes on the shooting scene first, but it takes fuck it. Like, it, it's not like all oh, like these, these people are heroes, but comedically t- to go, Hey, we're going to have like, can you imagine? I know Will Smith is more popular now, but being like, we're going to have a comedy scene where you shoot a child's cutout in the head <laughs> yeah. straight through the fucking middle of the head. And that's the joke. That's yeah. so dark. It's so fucking good. And also make fun like, of the military because he's just yeah. roasting the military. Like, that's, that's a hard. That's that's hard. That's and, and yeah, like SNL doesn't have the balls to fucking do that type right. of thing. And then also, again, like, I, and I, there's just not a better word for it. So this scene, it's like pompous to say this type of stuff, but like a brave comedic scene also is the one where it, the, when they first take the test, where the whole thing is Mr. Bean style. So funny. Prop comedy yeah. where they're filling out the, they're, pamphlet. they're filling out the pamphlet, the pre- the pencil breaks, the people are punching holes through the pamphlet. People are sitting all he's, awkward. It's dead silent. There's nobody talking. He He's dragging a table across to, in the silence of it. Like, I'll give you an example. Like, not, and I like him. Non-brave comedy is Jim Carrey screaming oh, at Ace Ventura. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I love it. I'm into it. He's right. talking out of his ass, right? It's like, awesome. literally. 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 <laughs> May I ask you a few questions? <laughs> but, like, to ha- to go, Will Smith, you're going to have to do this this five-minute scene of silent, prop, awkward, office-style prop comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. is like that. Like, comedically, it's pretty brave to, to do. Like, That's that hard. whole scene. Yeah. And also great directing because that's just not that's not even like a scene that's just like funny to be funny. It is completely set up to be like, look, he's questioning authority. He's thinking outside the box. He's asking questions. He has like an intuitive nature about aliens. So then at the end, when they dismiss everybody else, they don't like hold the audience's hand. Go see, guys. He was smart enough. He could do this job. Like they, they don't even say, you know, straight out, like why they chose him. They just set it up so well within all those comedy bits that it was just like obvious what criteria he met to get chosen. Lily, you couldn't have said it better. Using the comedy to show why he was picked is like that takes so much skill to be like, how do you capture that in the movie without explaining it? No one had to be like, oh, see, he dragged the table. He's thinking outside the box. These idiots are still trying to figure out do the, the packet. He found like a surface. And I'll even say, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but even him shooting the little girl, it's like, oh yeah, all the aliens are in disguises as humans. So like, 
like that like points to him i mean obviously it's like a joke but you know what i mean it's kind of like he gets it that these things yeah he was like showing like that one's not a threat he's working out that one's not a threat he's holding a tissue he's just got a cold this one's a threat because whatever and like one it's just to do a punchline but two it's just like a clever way to show like like the thought process of like who would really be a threat and to show that like he's elite where he can see things that other people don't see quickly. It also just shows, I mean, because like when you first, like if you, let's say you, you, we, we went to this movie already have seen it, seen it at least once. Like I've seen it a ton of times. I've seen this movie. Um, But like the first time you see this movie, it is like they start that, that exercise and all the other military guys are just like, <laughs> yeah, they're just like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm not questioning anything. I'm hundred percent behind this. I'm just shooting things. Okay. Well, and, and it is like a bizarre thing because he doesn't really know why he's there. He had his brain wiped yep. before he was given the card. So it's just like, yeah, why wouldn't you look around and be like, what the fuck is happening here? Why is there monsters like monster card? I mean, cutouts? I think it's a decent, uh, look on to how maybe the military is um i ask questions all, all i was gonna say about tommy lee jones is he is like the way because he's just deadpanning the entire movie he was he really de- frustrated about that deadpanning it yes oh yeah he was-, was like really he was not happy about it and the director was just like i promise you this is what's going to make it funny if you just play it straight oh my he but not even more than straight like triple straight like he does he's like an oscar worthy ben stein the way he plays mm. this you know what i mean where ben stein's dead panning it but it's just like you know bueller bueller right but tommy the way tommy lee jones does it is like i don't know it it's seems a, like someone who's been doing a job it's a job it's for, just a job. like this is like for him, this is an office comedy. We're like, I feel like he says some funny things to Will Smith, but he doesn't have to say them like over the top because for him, this is just like water cooler shit. I love, I love that you guys are bringing this up. So Lily is right that Baron Sonfeld is just like it was a fucking a hundred days of hell with Tommy Lee Jones. He's like, he's like, we all love each other, and after the movie came out, we all love each other. And like he said, he got along with Will Smith. Like Will Smith's young actor wants to like be there and collaborate. And Will Smith thought Tommy Lee Jones was fucking hilarious the whole time. But Tommy Lee Jones literally told his agent or his manager to call the director and the manager called the director and was like, Barry, why aren't you allowing Tommy Lee Jones to be funny? And Barry Seinfeld's like, dude, he's fucking hilarious. And when you see the movie, he's going to be like, mm-hmm. get like comedic awards because he's so good. So here was the problem. Tommy Lee J- Jones showed up to set and that opening sequence, right? They find what's the alien's name? Mikey. Mikey. Yeah. Mikey's hidden as like an immigrant who's like crossing the border. So they discover that it's an alien. And there's a line where he says, Mikey, put up your arms and flippers. But yeah, Tommy Lee Jones on set said, Mikey, put up your arms and flippers, like played Mm. it that big. And Barry Sonville is like, okay, cut. He's like, dude, you've done this a hundred times. You're not playing it as a comp. You got to play it straight. Just like, oh, put up your arms and flippers. You got to say it quick. And I guess that's Barry Sonnenfeld's direction all the time is quicker and flatter. He says he hates <laughs> when people try to act. He says you just say it as flat as possible and say it as quick as possible. And anytime someone's too slow, he'll just be like, nope, you got to say that line 10 times quicker, which is awesome because the movie flies by. Everyone's saying the fucking line <laughs> Is so he? Like... 
I think just like from everything you're saying, could he possibly be my favorite director? Because it's like <laughs> everything I want. We're like, let's keep this story fucking moving forward. Stop saying that like a jackass. Just say it quick. Let's get out of here. Like he sounds awesome <laughs> as fuck. Yeah. And he, he's so right, because if Tommy Lee Jones was funny in this and then Will Smith was funny, it just wouldn't work as well. It's and here's the thing. Tommy Lee Jones is funny in how nonchalant he is about things and yeah. how he's just like he's rattling off details like, oh, yeah, that device over there was the reason for like the New York blackout or whatever. And he just says it off the top of his head and moves on. And it's like, oh, this is fucking rad. And he's he's a landing joke. So in retrospect, obviously, Tommy Lee Jones was in two and three. And so they all got along and they got it. Dude, people on the interview circuit were just like, Tommy, you were fucking hilarious. And he's like, he's like, the only reason I was hilarious is because I was standing next to Will Smith and because I was directed by Barry Sonnefeld. So after the shoot, where it was very tumultuous, like he came around and like gave props to the people who like helped him get through it. So that's so bizarre because Tommy Lee Jones in and not that I know and like, you know, know a ton about his career but he seems to always kind of play the flat character the straight character kind he's of he's not in a lot of comedies though i think his idea was just like i'm in a comedy i should be being funny but yeah. i feel like what's super hard honestly i think if you're in comedy playing the straight person like being like the jason bateman it's the toughest part yeah because oh, you oh, are oh. feeling not funny but the scene is clinched on you because like Tommy Lee Jones say he was like being all hilarious would the scene of Will Smith being thrown around by like tentacles while an alien's giving birth have worked no. no what works about that scene is that it's happening in the background Tommy Lee Jones isn't even looking over I mean this guy is being flailed around and it is just so not anything because he's just like He's probably delivered how many alien babies like the fact that he doesn't even look over clinches that scene. But if he had like been like, oh, yikes, what's what? happening over there? It would have been late. Tommy Lee Jones gets to have the line. Congratulations. It's a baby squid. Yeah. Like, yeah. Come on, Tommy. It's <laughs> the best line in history. But I think if you're someone who probably hasn't made a ton of comedies, it probably feels really weird to be like, I'm in a comedy, but they're just telling me to say everything like I'm in a drama. I guess I don't know much of Tommy Lee Jones career. I know the fugitive two face ba Batman two forever. Face. Here's the problem. Batman forever was right before this movie. Batman forever was 95 and Tommy Lee Jones performance is no bueno. It is <laughs> yeah, not it's a little because much. He's literally <laughs> screaming and being crazy. And no offense to Joel Schumacher. I, I, I love that man. And RIP, he's a great dude. He's uh, dead? He's dead. Uh, but of he, what? I, this bad I review, Eric's about to get. <laughs> no. Here's the thing in Batman Forever. I don't feel like Joel Schumacher was someone to be like, hey, Tommy, Two-Face is kind of this like tragic character. He wouldn't be like cracking wise and like, screaming and being like so mm. insane like he has this duality to him and all this i think he's just like oh i'll let tommy lee jones do what he wants to do and tommy lee jones is like i'm in a comic book movie i'm gonna be a comic book mm. character and be like big and abrasive whereas this you have barry sonfield being like dude you're in a comedy but faster and flatter and don't make it a big deal um so I think, yeah, Tommy Lee Jones, The Fugitive, obviously this No Country for Old Men. Tommy Lee Jones is also a great fucking filmmaker. The few films he's made are astounding. Like, seek them out. Um, are the coffee aliens Puerto Rican? 
um, I don't the little little guys. I don't know. They're aliens. I don't, I don't know why you had to associate like, know, a race to them. Or something. That's weird. What do you mean? Um, it didn't feel like it needed to be said. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, you know what? I feel like uh, this is a level of Will Smith we haven't talked about yet because I think this is the first movie. A lot of good physical comedy in this movie. Like, so he does all the facial expressions, but like when he gets the itty bitty gun, it's just like, what the fuck? But then that gun is just like throwing his ass back constantly. Or when he's fighting the big bug at the end and he's just getting like bitch slapped around and just thrown around. Like, I feel like he has a lot of really good physical comedy in this movie. I, all right. So it's the noisy cricket, right? Is what the gun's called? Yeah. The noisy cricket. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, I mean, this, I was trying to really think about it. That it might be possibly, it might be the third most famous weapon in movies. Yeah. Lightsaber. Specific number. Lightsaber, maybe a scalibur. Proton packs from Ghostbusters, maybe. I are think we noisy calling cricket might be Harry like, Potter wands weapons? Yeah, but wands are just like wands. You know what I mean? That's not like a a I'm talking more like created weapons for for like a movie. Dude, I this mean, obviously, a merch gold mine. These yeah, weapons. I think the noisy cricket might be. It's got to be top five. Like that's yeah, like that was such a big deal. Like that was such a funny joke. Yeah. And people taught like it was like punchlines. It was like, in the song, too. Right. Like it's in the rap. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was just like that's also just like good movie making where it's like that is so marketable post movie. The guns like those are awesome toys. They were so distinct looking like how much of that shit did they fucking sell? Like the Ray-Ban sunglasses. Oh, man. Rippled in sales, like went from like, you know, a little bit here just tripled in sales after this movie because it's it's simple it's easy like you want to dress like the men in black cool just put on like a suit and sunglasses and now you're the men in black like it's such like an easy thing to do so like that's so easily marketed yeah uh so last podcast when we watched independence day i said the movie had too much visual clarity which made it kind of boring. Like I needed it to be a little bit more Michael Bay or insane because it lacked an energy. I'm going to go back and say this movie has astounding visual clarity. Like it's not confusing in the very least, but it has so much style and purpose and like someone with intention who's like using visual clarity for comedic gags that you understand the space you're in, what's happening, where you're supposed to be looking. Um, and it's not stagnant or boring. It's still full of energy. And you know how I know this, like for a fact, let's talk about the first time we saw this movie, Mark, because it's kind of interesting. Did grandpa oh. take you and alarms were going off? No, there was we we strictly only saw if I maybe I'm I'm thinking of it incorrectly. I think we only saw Will Smith movies in Spain. Yes. Really? We saw this. We oh, because you'd be there in the summer. Yeah, okay. summer blockbuster. We saw iRobot. Oh, Wild Wild West. Wild Wild West. Um, so it's in Spanish. You guys sound so bougie. Well, we'd we only might... see cinema in Spain. Well, we, we, we summered in Spain. Oh, I love <laughs> we, it. We summered in <laughs> Spain. 
So it came out the year we went to Spain and it was playing in the movie theater. So our, our parents took us to the movies to see this. So the first time we saw this movie was completely in Spanish. And I Is know. Is that true? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, yeah. So we had no context for like what's happening. And that's I know that's kind of fucked up to say because we're spoiled like half breeds over here. But basically, our mom is Spanish. We didn't know how to speak Spanish. Like you could understand it. it, it, understood right? it but, but not like, like not that you to go see a movie. <laughs> not what we should. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like not enough to know that. And when you watch this movie, you don't even need to know what they're saying to understand the plot top to bottom. Like it was really. Oh, yeah. And you think about it. Put it on mute. You watch it. You understand everything, even the noisy cricket or smaller details or the, you know, an alien in some guy's head. Like you just understand what's happening. Um, so that it worked the same with iRobot in Spanish. <sighs> <laughs> we'll you know what? Wild Wild West was the most forgettable one. Oh, it's, fuck. An- it's coming. It's coming. So, watch it. Film movie. Was it weird to go see movies that you like couldn't? understand well we were watching tv the entire summer well here's the thing i'm not trying to like put eric on blast here okay i could you we could i could half understand them like i knew enough oh sure 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 yeah your mom also did fucked up shit to eric where she taught him catalan no she taught him spanish oh she taught him spanish oh he really these these movies might have been in spanish Mm. right they wouldn't specifically they would have been catalan but either way, just like you knew enough Spanish to get you by, but it's like yeah. we were in no way fluent in Spanish of understanding what was being said. Mm-hmm. But That's yeah, so, so we saw it in Spain the first time. And yeah, again, you leave that movie and you, you totally get what's going on. So that's I think that goes to a major contribution to how did, it was filmed. And did like, we how- own this movie? Because I feel like I've seen it a million times. Dude, that's a great question because we've definitely seen it a million times. It might have been a renter. It just might have been we rented it a lot. See, I was telling Mark last night that like, so your house was like the Wild West. Your mom gave no fuck what you're watching. Like to the point that it is so jarring to me. Sex, not so much. Right. She she wouldn't let let us have sex in the house. Brutally murdered. (laughs) She would let you watch it. Yeah. Like, I've seen this movie. This was not a movie that we watched. Like, it was not a movie we rented. It's not a movie that we watched frequently. And it seems so odd because this is like obviously a movie that I'm with. I know all the quotes. I think for me, most of this movie lives within the song because, like, yeah, we're mm. listening to that all the time. But, like, you know, this is a funny movie. And it was just like not something my parents were showing us frequently and i feel like it's so odd i feel like there's so many movies like that where you two watch them so frequently as kids and i feel like my mom was like having us watch tamer things like i'm sure she was probably like oh they'd be too freaked out by the aliens they'd be too freaked out by the dinosaurs like she didn't trust us i i gotta say too what was impressive about this movie and i'll and i'll point to one scene with it is I mean, the the design of the aliens and just yeah. like the, the graphics in general. Rick and Baker, you know, Rick Baker. He's uh, the guy who made the werewolf transformation, in American werewolf in London. He was the creature effects designer and the new face makeup stuff. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it, you don't look like a lot of it is. You look at it and it's like, you know, it's CGI or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. it's some kind of special effect, 
but the way that it is, it's you, they, they make it so it's OK that, you know, it's almost mm. like, hey, if it's going to look campy, it's going to look campy type of thing. Mm. But I think what it is, is the um, the physics all match up. Like when Will yeah. Smith is doing that gag where the tentacles are coming out and the, the lady's giving birth to the squid and he's he's like getting sucked into the car. He's getting pushed out of the car the physics makes sense. Mm. Like I'm looking at Will mm. Smith's body and I'm like the way his body's reacting to a tentacle coming out and try to smash him through a car looks good. Um, the, the matrix movies that, that hit, you know, huge CGI budgets and everything. That's like the whole point of those movies. And the second one, there's m- moments where I look at it and I'm like, the physics aren't making sense in this and it's mm. fucking with my brain. Mm. Yeah. The physics always make sense in the, in this movie, regardless whether like, you know, Hey, these are nineties, computer graphics compared Mm. to you know 2022 i think they also did the very smart weird fine line they showed you just enough because i think sci-fi movies can get really tricky because i think a lot of times the smartest thing you can do is you don't show the creature because once you show the creature like you're fucked half Mm -hmm. the time but a lot of cgi movies are just like we can do it so they'll like overshow the creature and like after a while that's just just not holding up this one i feel like did something really intriguing where they did have like the cgi ones like the ones were like smoking and drinking but they were funny so it's like oh that's fine that they don't realistic because they're here for like comedic effect they had oh, like the couple what? those what, were all pu- those were all real puppets no they weren't yeah a hundred and fifty percent real puppets that those like only- four ones yeah, the only thing they removed from them were the the blue rods in them. And the reason he wanted them to be puppets yeah. is because Barry Sonnefeld is so against improvising that he's just like, if we're on set, the puppeteers, or not that he's against improvising, actually he liked them improvising on set because the puppeteers could improvise. Whereas if you did it CGI, you would have to stick to certain dialogues so they could animate the lips. Um, yeah, those were puppets. That that honestly just like fucked with my mind. And yeah. I got wow, that fucked with my mind. I was gonna say what else other I really liked is one, the big bug, which yeah. doesn't look that great at the end. They did the smart thing where they put it in an actual actor. So like the whole yeah. time you're seeing a person doing it. And then they'd also just use cockroaches constantly to like reference it. And then the little alien in the head. <gasps> God damn it, that still holds up. That's still oh, good. the dying scene. It's, yeah, it's little, like heart wrenching. That, that little alien should win the Oscar. That was such a good performance. It holds, but like when his face I opens a party up, with that, alien. that is like <laughs> it's like Jurassic Park where it's like we are years and years out and it still fucking holds up. Like it still looks good. Uh, and, and Mikey's good in the beginning. Mikey's great. Mikey looks awesome. And he's like puppet sometimes and then CGI sometimes. So yeah. he's fantastic. Here, okay, here's what I want to ask you to, because I got the sense of this. Beyond some dated verbal references, like maybe saying like um, uh, Dennis Rodman or saying something about it being in the 90s. Beyond that, the movie does such a good time, a good job of being timeless. Like it doesn't feel overtly 90s. And I think the smartest thing they did is they made the MIB facility like 60s and retro-y. Mm. Like the techs and like the chairs and like the office doesn't feel like let's do a 90s office. It felt very like throwbacky to when aliens landed or whatever and kind of like 
old ideas of Area 51 and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So while watching this, beyond maybe sometimes what Will Smith's wearing, which is now in fashion anyways. So like and it's just looked, really he looks great. great. He looks great. <laughs> it didn't yeah. register. He looked like a big 90s. banana at one point. It was yeah. awesome. He didn't have a backwards hat or anything like crazy. So like for me, I was watching this. I'm like, it feels timeless. I don't feel like I'm like, oh, this is so dated in 90s. It's just like, oh, this just feels like it'll always be men in black for as long as you'll watch it i feel like what was smart is they originally were going to make this shit like underground like have underground places in kansas and dc and i feel like it would have ruined the tone of the movie because i think what helped out was the office was full of so much light and it was like this is hidden in plain sight and these aliens are in Mm -hmm. plain sight and he straight up was just like we start looking at we're like you know what Aliens could live in New York City because people in New York City are just like used to people being weird. And like it'd be like a thing where like they just wouldn't even look at it. And they're like, and a lot of buildings and skyscrapers already kind of look like flying saucers. They're like, so it's just like such a seamless thing where then they could do the fun thing at the end where it's like, oh no, that is a flying saucer and it still works. He's like, so aliens could be coming and going and just like the way cities look. You wouldn't be able to tell. And I just feel like that was so genius because I think if they hid this underground, it would have made the movie like physically with your eyes darker. And I feel like it wouldn't have been as cool. I think it was something more fun and timeless about it just like being out in the open. And I like to. So. I I mean, I don't know if he was thinking about because what was it's four men in black movies now. If you're going to make so many movies, you have to start small and then broaden the scope. Right. Right. It's, it's a lot of time what you can do. Um, and they had, you know, you're basically following one alien, a couple aliens and a new recruit and just one building pretty much. But they had like a really nice like Moss Eisley scene, like mm. cantina scene. Right. Mm-hmm. When when he they go through the building and there's all the you get to see all the different creatures. You get to see the. The Puerto Rican puppets. You get to see the. No, you can't uh, say them. What do you mean? Not Puerto it's Rican. not us that did it. No, I, I don't think I there think was anyone who did. Like weird, they were like minions. Almost. They were like, yeah, weird gibberish coffee. Like they're not. I'll look it up and see. If they're like Ewoks. But yeah, they did it like a nice Mos Eisley like cantina scene. Where we get to see all the the breadth of the alien world, and that like that broadens it without broadening the story into like some huge thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, can I tell you something crazy? You know who was offered to direct this and turned it down? Quentin Tarantino. Imagine this movie in that pervert's hands. <laughs> so many alien feet. It's just, Quentin Tar- fucked up. it's just Quentin Tarantino on screen. He says the N-word twice and then gets out of there. Also, they got very close to Will Smith. He's not- done that in three movies. Yeah. Yeah, Will Smith yeah. almost did not do this movie because of Independence Day. Because as we're exploring like the Will Smith, how do you become a superstar? One of his keys to becoming like a big hit was to not do similar movies. And so far he doesn't like he's doing Fresh Prince, a TV show. And it's like six degrees of separation. You've got Independence Day. He was like, this is aliens. I'm going to have to turn it down. And his wife, Jada Pinkett Smith, they had gotten married. She was like, no. You have to do this. And Thank could, God. Could you imagine? This is such a different alien feel than Independence Day and is so much better than yes. Independence Day. 
a, a million times better, even down to um, Linda Fiorentino, who plays the coroner. Uh, she's fucking great. T- talk about cliches, right? So she shows up kind of as like a mild, like flirtatious love interest. It's not really. I'm so glad they didn't go down the road of like, oh, here's the awkward date or they go out to dinner or something like they flirt. They have banter. She gets set up to have like a damsel in distress moment where the Mm -hmm. bug is just like, I need food on my trip back to fucking wherever he's going. So he like grabs her, but she annoys him so much that at some point he just throws her into a tree (laughs) and it's like, oh, awesome. She doesn't need to be rescued. It's not like that might be. She ends up rescuing them at the end. Exactly. And that's what's so rad that she ends up being the one who shoots the fucking bug. So I'm like, awesome. They took something that could have been so tired and bored, like, and we're just like, no, we're not going to do that. We're just going to establish that she's going to be the new recruit when Tommy Lee Jones gets fucking zapped and back out, which speak about the hero, you know, to talk about the hero's journey and like this film obviously the matrix you know neo he's introduced the matrix he has to like become part of the squad all that same thing with men in black will smith is like brought into this like whole new world that he didn't even understand or even knew was out there um typically in these movies you pull the obi-wan right with the mentor character tommy lee jones would have gotten blown up or eaten and then Mm. will smith has to rise on his own and be like okay my mentor character died and now i have to like take the mantle and like do my duty and this they so cleverly still have that where the mentor character leaves but it's a payoff to a joke right the mind erase thing that's been used throughout the entire movie it's an emotional satisfaction because now he gets to be with the love of his life and also allows will smith to become like the new head of like the the buddy cop scenario and now this girl is going to be his like co-pilot or whatever. And he got the new suit at the end. Oh, his new suit. The like the cooler, suit. like updated <laughs> suit. So good. The new glasses. And so it's like, that's such a good choice where it's like, that's a cliche, right? The mentor character has to leave, but they make it something that's already in the DNA of the movie that he's memory's going to get zapped. He's going to reunite with the love of his life, move on. And I don't know. That's just such efficient storytelling. All right. So I feel like we have to point out for all those little Marvel lovers out there, they better be kissing MIB's little fucking tootsies because this movie inspired Marvel to option other properties like 2002 Spider-Man. Ooh. Like this movie did so well and was so successful that Marvel was just like, we, cause like, you know, MIB's from like a comic book. So they're like, we need to option more of our properties and start making these things. And I mean, really, if you look at it, like Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man really like is the catalyst to what half of the fucking entertainment shit out right now. And I not because it's easy to fucking go anti Avengers and make fun of that whole process and stuff because they've obviously are making a bunch of people like stupid money. Mm-hmm. But it was. It's kind of like, like Men in Black. They gave to. I, I'm not too familiar with this. Uh, this director. What's his name? Barry yeah, Sonnenfeld gave it to him, and who who has a style and gave yeah. it to kind of a weird writer too, right? Bill and Ted guy. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and you know, Spider Man. They gave it to Sam Raimi, who's a weirdo. Yeah. Would it be nice if they just gave? You, you know, I think comic books just got comic book movies got too cool. And yeah. they stopped giving them to weirdos. 
Mm. You know what I mean? But that's who should be making them. Like comic books are for weirdos. Comic books that get made into movies, their audience are fucking weirdos. So yeah, you should be letting a weirdo make it because they're going to make weird, perfect choices. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of weird, perfect choices, not to go back to Linda Farentino, but her cadence of speaking, that's not unique to fucking men in black. That's just how she fucking talks and all. She's the lead in Dogma, the Kevin Smith film. Like, oh, yeah, that's the way she speaks. And I don't know why, but it fits this movie. Like if there was ever a perfect role for her, just she's such an odd. It's so flat and dry. It's kind of alien. It's very alien. And I don't know. It gives it like a weird. Again, I keep saying like that character could have been so mishandled as just like, let's get not to say she's not beautiful. She's beautiful. But let's get Victoria's, you know, Victoria's Secret superficial beauty in there. Maybe she's just a bumbling coroner that Will Smith can like flirt with and she'll just be eye candy. Instead, she's like peculiar and strange. She says funny things. And then, yeah, she isn't the damsel in distress. And it's not so belabored, like labored on where it's like, oh, my God, what are we doing with this storyline? It just adds to the whole narrative without mm-hmm. taking away from the narrative. You're right, because a lot of times they'll do that shitty thing. Well, just like throw a woman in there and it's mostly to be like, are you sure you want to sever all ties with the outside world yeah. type scenario? And this was just like. No, bitch, I'm a doctor and I'm finding weird things. And I obviously on some level believe in fucking aliens. Yeah, It's like that's like kind of a weird way to take it. That like, you know, she's like a woman of science. She's like, I think there's aliens. Again, going back to our other point, you were talking, Lily, about how Will Smith has that like intuition. And that's why he was picked. She also has that. So it totally Mm -hmm. makes sense. that It's like, oh, yeah, she would join the MIB. Like, mm-hmm. just imagine if she was like a vapid or just kind of like airhead, you couldn't have her join the air- MIB and make it believable. It's just like, oh, yeah, she's kind of a fucking strange cat, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's going to join the MIB. And it's so rad when she's like partners at the end because she just, I don't know, just, again, I think they drop her. I don't think she's in the other movies. No, she she's not in him. <laughs> but it's such a cool way to end the movie. It all comes full circle. Tommy Lee Jones lost his old mentor, has to get the new one. Will Smith loses his mentor, has to get the new cat. I don't know. It's a cool. Well, it's also kind of nice where like they've now stopped wiping her fucking memory. Yeah. Oh, I don't even think it worked on her. Remember, it wasn't working. <laughs> They, um, I think they just did it frequently to her. She just like kept coming upon these fucking weird ass deaths. Um, they they when they tried to remake it. Well, I I don't even know if I've watched it. So it was Channing Tatum. No, it was uh, it was the uh, the Thor Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth. What um, they try and remake? They did Men in Black Four. Oh oh, with uh. Tessa Thompson? Yeah, my yeah, girl. Tessa my Tessa. girl. You're the girl. I know. I don't know why I like her. You do love her, though. Mm. <laughs> she's a lesbian, right? I, don't even um, I think she's bisexual, maybe. So there's a chance. You know, I, no, not for <laughs> you. You can fit perfectly into Mary. <laughs> well, who she? she's with that uh, other lady. She was Singer. with Janelle Monet. They anymore. broke up? But there's also, like, a picture of her making out with... um. Twigs? Rita Ora, Rita Ora, and uh, who's that director? Taika, Taika Watiki. Rita Ora, what the fuck? All three of them just like making out. 
Listen, I don't know what Tessa does in her bed, but I know that Mark would like to do it with her. <gasps> or watch. <laughs> but I don't think that movie was well received. It's called Men in Black International. That's kind of like the weird reboot, like that came out maybe a year or two ago. So there's the three originals, all Barry Sonnenfeld, um, with Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones. And then there's a new one. I don't think Tommy Lee Jones or Will Smith show up. And it is I one mean, of- none of them are like neither of those two are comedy actors either well, it, it's just it's just like the kind of the cynical like um digging for a franchise right yeah. you know everybody wants their next marvel or whatever you know or avengers or star wars or harry yeah. potter like if you don't have 30 go original and it, and you know seven billion dollars coming out of something yeah you know they don't really want to do it anymore well and they love the reboots where it's like, why well, make something new and original? Let's just make a fourth of this movie with none of the original players. Also, I'm going to predict, and we'll see this. I've definitely seen the second one maybe once. And I've definitely seen the third one in theaters. Maybe we went together, all three of us, but I definitely saw it in theaters. Because uh, the third one was maybe only 10 or 12 years ago that it came out. I don't um, think I've seen the second or the third. I just know uh, Johnny Knoxville's in it. What? Yeah, Johnny Knoxville's in this. Is an alien? Yeah. Okay. He might That's have two heads or something. Um, vaguely familiar. But here's the problem. This movie is such a perfectly contained story. And mm-hmm. I think we're going to have diminishing value in the sequels. I, I think the third one actually has some interesting stuff. But the problem here, again, what I vaguely remember is that you have a perfect conclusion to Tommy Lee Jones's character. He's reunited with the love of his life. His memory's wiped new kids, you know, heading the MIB fresh blood, fresh talent. I think the sequel is about getting Tommy Lee Jones back into the MIB. Isn't he like young? Yeah. That's the third one. Oh, that's the third one. Yeah. They flip it. Now Will Smith is the one teaching Tommy Lee yeah, Jones. Tommy Lee uh, Jones is the man out of water kind of situation. All I remember is Ebert going, Maybe they should have gone on a different planet or something. <laughs> and that was his review of it. it was like, maybe they should have like taken them to a different planet, but they did the same thing. You know, I feel yeah. like what's really hard. I think it's really hard to do sequels of comedies. I think comedic actors are among some of the best actors. I think comedies really hard and it's very, particular and i just think it's like a brutal medium like i don't know like i know people are going to disagree but i feel like it's way easier to make yourself cry because that's something that you're doing to yourself like you can make yourself cry you can react you can um get mad or get angry if you're doing comedy it's very hard to make yourself funny because you're not really in control. Like you're trying to get a reaction out of somebody. So I feel like um, comedy is super hard. And I feel like comedy writing is really hard. Making a sequel to a comedy is just like, you're not fucking ghostbusters. Like honestly, for the general most part, you just shouldn't do it because comedies are like you said, they're short. They're usually pretty tight. They're usually pretty self-contained. Like nobody needs to see the second sequel where you're like doing callback jokes. Like that shit's not funny. Well, you know what else is not funny? Mm. Becoming an enemy of the state. Oh, wow. Okay. I saw that. Dude, this is awesome. Like, (laughs) 
that we're going from men in black to enemy of the state, probably back to men in black too. Like we're no, just wild, wild, wild west. west. Oh, we're in a good groove. Wild, wild nah, west. Oh, I don't, I want, I might skip that one. Here's the thing. <laughs> this man is brutal. He's got like a movie a year coming out. So right now he's in the Willie style era. He wins a Grammy for men in black, the song. And it's just like, when the fuck is this guy sleeping? Like, that seems like a, you know, a lot of movie stars like doing a movie a year. That's a lot. And he's out like promoting albums and singles. Fuck. It's a lot. So if you're living. What the fuck the- was that? Did you hear something? Yes. I know you just went off a diving board. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, clicking clicking on my, uh, my laptop because I was trying to look up something. <laughs> Uh, give me one second, Mark. Talk about. The- oh, I'll tell you something funny. Yeah. Okay. So the scene where he's got the little gun and he's shooting it and it throws him back and he lands on a car and like breaks the windshield. The stunt double literally was wearing Kevlar underwear for that scene. <laughs> Dude. Oh, yeah. Because his butt goes through the windshield of the car. Isn't that weird? I didn't even know they made Kevlar underwear. <laughs> what was so great about that scene is every time he shot the gun, he would so just funny. scream and fly and fall. And it was fucking hilarious. Also, remember Vincent D'Onofrio is getting his car towed and he pulls out his gun and the other. Oh, the guy's like, oh, yeah, so, yeah, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. The tow truck driver has a gun pulled on him yeah. in his face. Yeah. And his reaction is just to show that he also has a gun. It's like, yeah, you're still going to get shot. Here's the thing. He put it away, too. He's just like, OK, buddy, yeah. uh, I don't really care. And then sticks it back in his pocket. It's like, maybe you should pull that all the way out. I don't know. But also, Vincent D'Onofrio has that great moment where I think he recognizes like the cat or he recognizes the people and he starts like spazzing out in his car trying to act normal like place his hand on his face oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> like he's <laughs> just being a psycho um so here's the announcement i want to make if you live in the rochester new york area Ew. Uh, july 23rd we are showing men in black at the little theater no really at- a choice that I made because oh. we do a series. Should we? Do uh, they want to do a Q and A? Yeah, we'll do there? a live podcast after. Yeah, we can. Um, we can point them to the podcast. But basically, we do a series called Saturday Night Rewind. If you don't know who we are, go on to Instagram. Stop it's, saying we. Who's the we? We is myself, uh, Eric of this podcast. It's also with a couple people from Fright Rags, Ben and Chris, and then also yeah. Roy from the Little. So it's a small collective. There you go. Uh, of people at the Little Theater and Fright Rags, we came together and we do a series called Sarah and I Rewind. We basically program movies for a while. We were doing them once monthly, but the pandemic kind of changed things. So we kind of planned them whenever we can, but we're getting back into the swing of things. We just showed Spaceballs this month. Oh, that's uh, a good next, one. Yeah, next month is Back to the Future. And then our, we had a July spot open. And typically we've been picking a lot of movies from like the 70s and the 80s, but because I'm a, what am I? A generation... Pizza boy, <laughs> what what generation? <laughs> yes, millennial. You are. I'm yeah. a millennial. I was just like, guys, we need to maybe like dip our toe into the 90s. And so I chose Men There's in Black. Gems. There's gems. And so I'm hoping people show up to it. I'm curious if people will come up for Men in Black and just like I feel like it's a good movie for like all ages, like family can yeah. go to it. There's um, like jokes that the adults will get. Yeah. But it's not too vulgar or too scary for kids either. Like, it's just, it's a good family 
blockbuster. And here's the kicker. If all goes well, it might change. So don't hold me to it. But we are trying to show it in 35 millimeter film. So I don't know what that means. It means we have a print from the 90s that we're going to be screening, not some digital version of the film. Okay. It is going to be 35 millimeter film. I am so glad you brought that up because I don't know the size of the film. But when this movie originally came out, they sent like the like the wrong like films to theaters and unless a projectionist like lined it up just right you would see the mics and (laughs) booms and like all the bullshit on like the outside of the frame that you weren't supposed to see you know what the last time I saw that is when I saw Knocked Up bring it back to Judd Mm -hmm. Apatow when I saw Knocked Up in theaters there's a whole scene where what's his wife's name Leslie. Leslie Mann. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking to Paul Rudd's character because he went and saw Spider-Man 3 or something. And she's like, I want to see Spider-Man 3 sometimes. They're having like a marital dispute. And the mic was in the frame of the shot each time. And that's not a fault of the filmmakers being like, oh, you left the boom mic. When you project 35 millimeter film, you're projecting through a plate that's been cut. And it's supposed to hide things that are on top of the frame and on bottom. And if you don't have it perfectly aligned with that plate, you'll show things that aren't supposed to be shown. I remember seeing the theater being like, holy fuck, the boom mic is in this entire scene. It was wild. That's what happened. Did you fix it? Why did nobody go fix it? No, no. I'm knocked up, which came out fucking 25 million years ago. I was watching it as a spectator. Uh, well, like, So say you're the projectionist. Can you even fix that once you start the movie? You, you can. Here's the thing. Projection is if in a place like Tinseltown, which is kind of a, what do you call it? A bigger like a mega theater. theater. Yeah, like a mega theater or whatever. There's like 27 screens in there, probably not more mm. than 17. And you usually have like one projectionist on shift running to each theater starting it. So it might have just really? been. Really? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of times, you know, you have one, two projectionists fucking running it. So if say if someone started that film and had to run over and start something else, maybe they just didn't catch it. And realistically, you know, it's hard for projectionists to sit there and watch the entire film. So maybe they just don't catch it. It's like, oh shit, this one scene isn't framed up exactly right. It's fucking wild. But that's why crazy. is it that they send it like that? Why don't they send it like already without that bullshit in frame? So that's a great question. I think it's something that it has a lot to do with like the size of the film and what's captured. I don't know. That's a great question. I know digitally, they obviously it's now cut to like fit the digital file, but Mm. on film, you don't really cut that stuff out. I'm trying to think of a good way to explain it, but it's something here's another crazy thing. Like we showed critters at the little theater. It's a alien movie from the eighties and we had it wrongly framed. So you were seeing a spaceship flying in outer space. And then you could see like the mechanism above it. That was like puppeteering the spaceship. <laughs> and then we're like, Oh shit. And we like quickly like dialed it in. So to get rid of that, but it's like, I don't know. It's kind of bizarre to be like, you can kind of see what's happening beyond the edges of the frame sometimes with film. Yeah, that seems like freaky. Much yeah. like our lives. <laughs> um, in uh, Super Troopers, the cameraman laughed at a certain point and ducked down. He got to see the guy that plays Farva's dick. Damn. That dick wasn't supposed to be in frame. It wasn't. Oh, I wonder how many dicks are out of frame. Yeah, that's true. That's true. 
Here's the other thing. And I don't know. I don't know if this is the exact explanation, but because on old 35 millimeter projectors, you have a dial that you can give like an actor more headroom or less headroom. Whereas if they didn't have that option, no, I don't know what I'm saying. Anyways, I, all I know is that you can sometimes see shit. Now we're fucking meandering. But yeah, go see Will, uh, Men in Black, July 23rd, 8 p.m. The Little Theater. July come 23rd. out. And coming up, Enemy of the State is the next one for Wild Wild Will. I'm, I'm nervous, guys. I'm like afraid we hit peak Will way too early. Mm. We're going to get some dramatic bullshit that we've never seen. I know, but I just feel like I feel like this is just like such perfect Will Smith in this movie. Yeah, this it's be. everything I think of with Will Smith. Yeah, and it's honestly this is a movie I'd watch again right now. <laughs> I might do that. Well, you can watch it again in July at the Little Theater. That's true. I'm looking forward to Enemy of the State, and I'm also looking forward to iRobot. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All right, guys. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs>